Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to WebRush, show number 160. Today, I'm joined by Dan and Ward, and there's me, too. So we've got a full house. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. Peachy. <laughs> Glad to hear. And today, we're joined by Val Neekman, who's a developer with a passion for performant software development. He's a strong believer in the open source communities, and he lives in Waterloo, Canada. And today, he's here to talk to us about Fullerstack. Val, welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. And uh, too bad that John is not here, but um, I've been uh, listening to your podcast since episode 101. Then I had to go all the way back to episode zero. And then ever since I've been, um, every Thursday morning, I've been uh, an avid listener. That's awesome. You know, negative one was our best episode. I don't know if anyone's heard that, but that was the top episode. Well, Val, well, welcome to this community of 10 people who listen to us. Uh, Including my mom. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's, that, that's how we get it to 10. Uh, John is out running somewhere. Uh, he's got a big race that's tomorrow. Uh, what the heck is he do- What's going on with John there trying to get I just hope nothing dangerous is chasing him at all. But he'll be back next week. T- tell us about Fullerstack. What, what is Fullerstack? Fullerstack is a monorepo um, that I've created and is fully open source for everyone to contribute to and enjoy. Um, I do have a tiny company, a consulting company in Waterloo, Canada. Mainly, I serve American clients. And when I go between clients, there is just one way of um, perfecting the authentication, for, as an example. And um, I need to have a prior art that I could point to and just bring and use for every client. Um, so far, all these libraries that I created, predominantly in Angular and Django, they've been a one-off standalone and um, when the mono repo showed up and Narwhal did a very good job at creating NX, I decided to pull everything into one mono repo and I made sure that I create something that is ready for feature number one. Uh, this is not a to-do list. This is a complete from zero to hero, fuller stack ready for your first feature. And it's fully open source MIT for people to use and hopefully use as a reference. Minimally. So help me out here, Val. Um, you described it as, uh, I mean, you put monorepo at the front of your thing without, I, I don't even know what's, what, I mean, I think of a stack, okay, that's a bunch of technology. But, um, so I'm curious about two things. What's, what does the stack cover? And why is, why do you emphasize the word monorepo? Um, as I mentioned before, I had many libraries and each library, these are um, JavaScript libraries. They had different dependencies and just managing all those libraries with different dependencies at some point is overwhelming. Uh, it would have been really nice if I could just put them all to follow one package.json, one set of dependencies, and I operate them all at the same time. It would be for better for me and for all the recipients of this 
fuller stack that I call it. I see. I see. So if I go npm install fuller stack, I in one shot I get everything I need. Is um, that the idea? Fuller stack itself is not npm installable because it's not something that you could install. You clone it, you rename it to whatever you want, and then enjoy it, or you just install all the packages that is published individually because it uses its own packages like dog fluting. I like the steps there. You clone it, you rename it, and you enjoy it. Like, you know, that's how repo should be. Uh, you know, you, you did mention something that definitely touched a nerve, I guess you could say on my end, and that is off because off is challenging. So it sounds like, because, you know, you can, you can be good at off, but being good at off across, as you kind of mentioned earlier, frameworks, and I'm, in, I'm including front end and back end in that statement, is actually a lot more challenging, you know, than, well, than you would probably think it should be, right? So is part of the idea here then, uh, you basically have a, a cookie cutter solution that you could start from as the, the batter, if you will, and then you can tweak that, you know, if I want to add chocolate chips, I want to you know, add raisins or add, be a bad combo. In my opinion, I hate raisins. But anyway, is that the idea that I could start with this as a good foundation and then tweak it from there? Auth is not that difficult, provided you know exactly what you want from it. For me, auth, the best auth is the one that is not sticky because you put a bunch of nodes behind load balancers. And if you made it sticky, now all those load balancers, they have to be aware of the session cookies. So that brings a little bit of difficulties. So it really we, we have to figure out how we make it stateless. JWT comes to the rescue here. The way that I've created it, an auth here, is that the end user doesn't have to worry about, oh, the expiry. They just set few uh, default values and forget about it. The system is intelligent enough to figure out that there's a, um, a 401 and he automatically underneath goes and gets a new cookie, provided that your main um JWT is still valid. It is very straightforward. It's meant to make the user just use it and enjoy it and nothing more than that. And for 99% of the cases, people don't really mind to have uh, HTTP only cookie to hold the main session alive. And then the access cookie runs around between five minutes, 15 minutes, whatever that you want it to be. That off usually is, I call it off squared because off for authentication comes first and then the authorization goes after and uh, ACL is there as well. You could have role-based, you could have permission-based, you could have so many other uh, granularity when it comes to who could view what. And all the serial is there, they're there as well. So the DTO that comes back knows that, you know, uh, staff doesn't have to know the past uh, email address of a um, a route. So it automatically prunes all sensitive data when somebody requests them. Hey, John, I have this great idea for a mobile app. I want to use native features like the camera, photo gallery, and geolocation, but I just don't have the time to learn a new language like Swift. Yeah, but you do know JavaScript and web tech like React, Angular, and Vue, right? I do, but how does that help me? Well, if you use the Ionic framework, you can use your JavaScript skills and you get fully styled iOS and Android mobile components. Plus, it uses a capacitor to talk to all the native device platforms. So if I use Ionic and capacitor, I don't have to learn a new language. My JavaScript skills give me what I need to build a cross-platform app. Absolutely. And you can check it out at ionic.link 
slash web rush. I'll do it. Are, are you doing end to end data management as well as part of your stack? So, so what, how do you model that? The one thing that I wanted to put out there for all the architects to use as a reference, mainly enterprise architect I'm talking about, is that, hey, you know, one language and front and back end, one technologies, even the architecture would be the same. That's why I chose Angular for the front end, Nest JS for the back end, because the, the way that they have been architected, they're similar. And TypeScript is the predominant language, and the detail between the two in a model repo is really easy to manage because both could reference the same detail that you've put in place for the interface. So they know what's going on. It's really easy to upgrade. The version control is not required because GraphQL is native. You just ask for whatever you want, and that element or that field will never go away. Just the next version of the app that you create is not going to ask for it. Uh, on the client side, do you have um, some kind of uh, a data management wrapped around something or other? Like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, NGRX comes to mind. I'm not saying that you would use that, but but what's what's sitting there for the client side developer to so interact with? Um, I've used in the past NGRX. It is great, but after that, I graduated to create something of my own. And I have a very small store that you could use it in the back and in the front end. And the store does everything that the NGRX is doing. And you could select against whatever you want. For performance, I've made sure that uh, there is no nested. So you just select against one path. And that's fine because once one area of the data is given to the recipient, they could filter better because the ownership of the data is is theirs, what they want to filter against. So I do have a custom built 100 lines of store underneath all of this. And GraphQL, if you use Apollo version, provides some sort of store management as well. Um, I've opted not to use that because I want the dependency to be minimal. So the GraphQL on the back end is Apollo, but on the front end, there is a small GraphQL engine that understands how to grab the data and understand how to re-raise everything. Angular intercepts are great at that. And uh, that's how the data is managed and given to the right uh, selectors, so to speak. How does the app get do change detection or, or detect changes in the store? Are you using RxJS observables or? Behavior subject. That's all I needed, a behavior subject. And upon select, the first select, uh, when the subscription occurs, they get the snapshot of right now. And then thereafter, any changes that they've signed up for based on just a simple key in a, a dictionary, will be propagated down. So I, do I have to be an RxJS guru to, because, uh, you know, a lot of our audience doesn't really know it. Uh, can I, I mean, uh, you know, the more I know, the better, right? But but basically, if I know the the fun, the sort of normal patterns in Angular for that Angular uses, but you could use it with, you know, somebody else could use it with React, but it, Angular here, uh, I can just listen for changes, wrap, you know, you know, pipe it through async pipe and all yeah. that stuff, right? It's a behavior subject from RxJS. If you use HTTP GET, HTTP POST in Angular, you already know that when you subscribe, you have to unsubscribe unless you're in the template. So I assume that 
some level of RxJS knowledge is there, but it is very simple. It, you don't need any boilerplate. It's so simple. You set the state, you give a key, you reserve a, um, use a segment in the, in the store that becomes yours, and everybody that comes with the right key, they could read it. And it's read-only. Uh, it would not mutate. But there is a flag that you could say, I want it to mutate if you want, but by default, it's read-only. What do you do for, uh, do you have any particular patterns for um, navigating the app and doing and building your component tree? Is there a position on that? Or is this why, is this where you say, hey, developer, Angular developer, you know what to do? Um, I wanted to make sure the fuller stack really meant what, he, what, what I wanted to mean. So, there is a module called menu and it keeps everything that you need in a proper menu system. And you could take that menu and render it to any templates that you want. There is an example as well that you could click and navigate to a coordinate menu on the left side. I've used comp Angular components or the Angular material that, that it used to be called. Um, for the menu system, the layout is there it understands that it's mobile or not mobile. It, 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 it's mobile first, but it's fully responsive. And you, you pretty much take it. And from the moment that you drop your own feature at it, the first feature, it, it gives you everything you want, left to right, right to left, IATN, I10N. Everything is baked in. Even the translation is automated against Azure um, AI. So if you need to translate something, you just drop it in the, the string, whatever you want, with an underscore, parentheses, and then run a command. It will extract all your translation, puts it in the English file if that's the fault. You put your English version for that key there. You run one command, translate. It automatically opens your account based on your key, goes to Azure, and translates all keywords, phrases, everything, brings them in, puts them in the right file. After that, you could give it to a proper translator to proof check or, or read it to make sure that those sentences, they make sense in different languages. Pretty much to enable a new language from A to Z minus the human translator is less than five minutes work. That's, that's nice. Uh, if, we, if we back up a little bit, because you've, you've kind of named a, a bunch of technologies, and I do like that you've really tried to focus on minimal dependencies, it sounds like, simplicity. I mean, you're kind of slogan here I see is elegance in simplicity, which uh, I'm a, I think we'll get along fine there, Val, because I'm a big fan of simplicity where, you know, possible. But if we take a step back, if I'm an enterprise developer and I'm starting a greenfield project and maybe to this point, we've done everything purely ourselves, you know, we're doing ng new for Angular or whatever it may be. What would be the number one selling point of going with this, given that it does sound there are some technologies like GraphQL you've mentioned that you know not everybody's using or maybe even comfortable with. So what are the considerations if I'm an enterprise developer on, should I look at Fuller Stack, should I not? Walk us through that real quick, because I'm a little confused on when would I use it, when would I not? Fuller Stack is meant to be used as a reference if you already have something and it's not working. My last project, I was there overseeing 200 developers Planes were constantly landing. There is no time for uh, technical uplift. And this is what I had to go there. Since I couldn't ask for a rewrite, I had to put five cranes around the project and slowly lift it up. So what I've created here as a reference, those architects, they design first, 
design for the future, built for today. That is the name of the game for me for this. It's going to give you a reference point. Tomorrow belongs to GraphQL, but if you're comfortable with REST or whatever business you need that you, you have, or you're, you're feeding off somebody else's API that is REST, the boilerplate is there. You know exactly what to do. The, inter, um, the intercept is there that manages all that for you as far as the authentication and stuff. And then you just use HTTP GET and call whatever that you want and put it in the data store. And all the participants that they're waiting for that piece of data, is they're, they're going to get it. On top of that, I've created a HTTP cache. HTTP cache, you could say, I want the cache version, but if it's out of date, go get the network version. Because for mobile, you want to see it right away. And then you say cache only or cache off or network only. All of those are in HTTP cache module, which means you go for something. Let's say there are two components that... They were badly architected and designed. Both of them get up and, oh, that piece of data is missing. They make two requests back to back. This cache intercepts, built a secure or, or a hash key based on the requests. And he goes, hey, somebody just two seconds ago requested this. I'm going to put you in the shared Rx, uh, um, RxJS. And as soon as the reply comes back, I'm going to replay it to both of you. So... That HTTP module is there for caching as well. So that is for REST. Whoever wants to use REST, they could use that right away and provide some caching as well. They don't need to use the store. They don't need to use the GraphQL. But GraphQL is the first-class citizen here. So, so um, the the target audience, you know, and I think um, Dan was sort of alluding to this. Um, uh, the target audience for this is what kind of, what set of developers? Is it only enterprise developers, people who are trying to just whip something together? Or, or you know, how do I, uh, what range of uh, people do you have in mind for this? The target audience is anyone that has a thirst to learn something um, done properly first time around. I don't take this as perfect but I've put everything in it. So when you take it, you say, okay, if I follow this, I, I know I've covered 90%. Everybody goes with the 80-20 rules. I've tried to achieve the 90-10 here. And as far as the unit test, Cypress, whatever that my limited time allowed me, I put in there. So the target audience to tell your word is that high school students that is just itching to get into software development, but is just tired of to-do lists. Or that architect that goes, I want it all. I want to go and I want to go to my product guy and say, I, we have to rewrite this because it was written in Adobe. Time is money. We have to go green. How can I go and sell something if I've never done it before? Oh, I'm going to look at this as a reference. I'm going to bring it in, toss the first major feature of the application we're about to convert, and then take it to my product and say, look, 90% of work is there from day one. We could hit the ground and running. That would be the chief architect sitting in some companies and trying to find some ammunition to go with the product and get the budget for a rewrite. Well, and, and to your point, you know, when we're looking at the installation instructions, you're, you're cloning it and then you're creating a database, you're seeding the database, you're starting it up and, and, and you have the front and the back end running. 
I would imagine that when you get an opportunity to start Greenfield as as your own consulting company, you're, this is probably your your home base that you're going to every time as well, right? Absolutely. That's why I mentioned prior art because I bring it there. I give them the software for free. They sign that the software is open source that I, they understand is MIT. And then now they worry about their core business. If they're trying to get me to create, I don't know, an Uber website for them or something, they're not going to worry about how the authentication is happening. That's not their core business. The core business is, is it secure? Is it ready? When can I have it? And can I hire people after you to maintain it? Yes, as long as they know TypeScript and Angular patterns, which Nest.js is modeled after, then, then they're set. You don't need to bring somebody that knows Go, somebody that knows C Shop, somebody that knows just one-stop shop. TypeScript is great enough. Uh, Microsoft has done a fantastic job. Community has come together to create something to remove the pain of JavaScript, even though one of the main used programming languages in, in the world is JavaScript. But TypeScript is the icing on the cake now. Nice. So so when you pop this open for the first time, I, are, do you essentially have one page? Are there multiple content pages? Like as far as like the day one experience, yes, you have auth, you, you have the database, you have the translation service, you have all that. How much of the structure of the site is available? Immediately 100% of the structure is available. Translation is available. Eight languages are being translated for the authentication, login, rename, change the password, and the whole authentication shebang. And uh, dark mode is Available from the get-go. Of course, this is mobile first. We don't have to even go there. And the users, they get to choose few behaviors, set it and forget it. Now, whatever that first core application, that uh, the feature that they want, they drop it into a library. They use NX to create the libraries. And they just hook it into lazy loading. And they're set. And they drop one pointer into the menu that is already there. There's a menu system that you just go there, um, put one row in your table and say, okay, this is my menu, and it just comes alive. What, what's dark mode you, you mentioned? And I, I'm not sure I know the, that term. Um, dark mode, sometimes, let's say, if some financial company grabs this and they have a lot of charts and stuff and end users for that company, they stare at the monitor for 24-7. Uh, light background, probably is not the best for their eyes. So they just flick a switch and it just goes dark background, just like your Mac these days or other websites. Okay. So it's like it sounds, but I, you know, like, for sure, for <laughs> that's sure. not like the fort, the dark no, no, side no. of the force or something. I did wonder, Ward, if it was, you know, you got your uh, different yeah. security hacks and I'm like, is yeah, it a... <laughs> it's my mood. If I'm not feeling good today, I get dark. You know, that's how, yeah, I, there you go. That's how I roll. And uh, you don't want to see my dark. <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> so uh, on the continuum of apps that are built like a spa or internet application or, you know, th things of that nature versus a public website that needs to be really search engine optimized. Are there SEO uh, switches that you can turn on from Fuller Stack or where does this sit within that continuum? This is predominantly made to sit behind the firewall for enterprise applications. I don't want to be everything to everyone. And then at the end of the day, the permutation combination is going to be overwhelming that nobody is going to come to it because it's too complex or because it's too um, not performance, whatever uh, the, the name for that is. Um, this is for 
enterprise applications that they just need to sit behind the firewall and people use it. Uh, let's say if you go to buy a Tesla, then they redirect you to that app that you put your credit card and stuff. That That is not their main site. So this is that app that does 90% of the work in the background for you. Um, well, and the, and the behind the firewall wall apps are so many apps that are built on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. but if Absolutely. somebody wants to enable a server-side rendering, um, Angular has a ton of artifacts you could follow, figure out how to enable it. Uh, we do that. However, I've enabled some analytic um, libraries or I've created some analytic libraries that talks to Google and you could give it some event, whether it's a click event, page change event, route change event, whatever you want, name it what it is, and he communicates with Google. And then you could go to Google, open the dashboard and figure out what users are doing. And then you could go, hey, you know, all the users are falling off from here. Let me go and do an A-B test to figure out why. Uh, that module is already in there as well. What is the learning path for Fuller Stack? I, I've gone, I'm, I'm looking at the README. It's very lean. It tells me what's in it, um, what it's trying to, you know, and, and it identifies the technologies, which I could go to each of those individual technologies to develop my, you know, build my skills on that. But um, is, is uh, so, so tell me what's the, what's the learning, you know, what's the learning path for somebody coming to this and, and what do you have to know in order to be able to take, you know, make good advantage? The assumption is that you've done that to-do list in TypeScript already. You've played with the minimum Angular as well. And that that's the bare minimum. Once you show up, uh, what I've done, I've made sure anything that is publishable on the main page, I have a link to it and it just goes to the libraries and each library that is publishable has its own readme with proper instruction how to use it, how to deploy it, whether this app is going to use it or somebody else just wants to use that IPware that I put there to identify in the back end that which IPs are malicious and which IPs are um, proper IP of the client if, if, if I want to geofence in the back end. Everything is documented, but at the end of the day, some basic knowledge of Angular, and of course, TypeScript, has to be there. Um, for somebody to follow this. Um, a high school student in grade 12, no problem. If they have the interest, they're willing to spend a week on it, they could pick it up. I, I see. So so these links to, in these libraries, are, you know, so if I want to know something about state manage, your state management or how to hook it up and all that stuff, uh, I follow the link to the supporting library Which in, and yeah. in the readme there's, And that, so it, the, the, whole, the readme on Fuller Stack is kind of my table of contents to through by way of these libraries to learn how to use each of the uh, or to get the details sure. of what you've done, what how, how what the integration exactly got it. I think it's interesting you've in, included here the auto-generated lines of code, um, and it looks like for TypeScript there's twenty one thousand four hundred eight lines of code. And of that, 3,971 of them are comments. So are, are all those auto-generated comments or are, is any of that include comments that you've added into the code base? No, the auto-generated that I put there, that means whenever you submit something, uh, commit against GitHub, GitHub or Git repository. As soon as you do that commit, immediately there's a hook. I pick it up. And then go calculate everything, a line of code, and insert it in the README before I do a commit. So that README 
the portion of the line of code is auto-generated, it's always up to date. But those lines of code, yeah, those lines of code, I put those lines of uh, comments in there. Whenever I figured out that there is going to be a question mark in somebody's head, I put meaningful comment, short comment, and I try to do the JS doc style if I could. But I don't like magic. So whatever that I found something magical, I just put one line of, hey, you know, don't do this or this is done for A and B. But that uh, line of code is auto-generated, auto-inserted. It's live at all time or up-to-date. Gotcha. Right, because, the, because my project is my repo. It's my clone of your stuff. And then it becomes Ward's um, uh, shoe manufacturing application. Uh, and that it's the it's international shoe dot get and there uh, I can see what what international shoe app has. Yeah, you right? see all the lines of code that was the base of this app and anything that you add, because as long as it goes to that repository, it's going to be accumulated. So you know, hey, you know, I started with 25,000 lines of TypeScript, now it's 100K. Okay, I had two developers, then I know what we've done. What I like about it is I, I'm not one that really dwells on lines of code because obviously we end up writing what the application needs. However, it's nice to scan this from the beginning if I wanted to choose this. And I can instantly see that, you know, there's TypeScript. And when you eliminate, it looks like the blank lines and comments, you're down to about 15,000 lines of TypeScript. And then you break it down into all the other parts. Technologies. Um, and yeah, well, the languages specifically. And I think that's pretty interesting to be able to just get a feel for it. I mean, granted, you know, an Angular project or possibly a React project, they're going to typically have a lot of TypeScript, for example, or JavaScript. So that one's kind of a given. But you even break it down to, you know, you have your SQL and all that. So I, I guess my point is it's nice to just have a snapshot of here's what this project has. Because normally you have no idea until after you've run it and then you have to dig in to figure it out. So that, that's a nice little uh, add-on. I, I yeah, I do hire a lot of people for my clients because I interview them, bring them in, train them, and then say, okay, maintain. Line of code for me is not important to promote somebody, but it's really important to no. make sure that I don't end up with the bloatware. I got to figure out how fast my line of code increasing because I don't like copy and paste. This is my gauge. You all heard the Apple story? I, I have. <laughs> I, I, I'm assuming it's a real story about, I guess... Early on, they implemented a uh, like your pay raises or something like that. We're going to be based on lines of code, and oh, one of their top engineers. Yeah, <laughs> nobody can see Ward's face there, but it was not a look of excitement, as it should be. Uh, anyway, and I, as the story goes, and I might correct me. It sounds like Val, you've heard this too. Um, one of the, I guess, top engineers when he gave his report. He had like negative something lines of code because he refactored. He made it some particular API like way better. Right. So they clawed back some of the money from his uh, his paycheck. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, yeah. when I heard that a while back, I went, whoever would think lines of code is a good metric just doesn't get it. So anyway, I just want to emphasize that I like that you list what's in it. I don't care so much about the lines of code, but. I, I like you list the languages. So well, and and the reason I brought it up was was to say that you know you've there's almost four thousand lines of comments, and so towards point about you know how are you going to onboard yourself to this? How are you going to learn about the technologies and everything that's going in there? 
I'm, I'm delighted to see that you've spent, it seems like a considerable amount of time going in and providing what seems like some, some high value comments to, you know, something that's going to be really unfamiliar to people as they, they crack into it. For sure. Now, personally, I would have preferred if it all, the, if there'd have been only one TypeScript file with all the 21,000 lines in it, because that's what I'm, that's kind of what I'm used that's, to these that's days. That's your reality. Uh, Is that how you pay your people work? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because now I don't have to wonder where it is. It's in that file, you know, so. Uh, uh, to, to prove, less to prove that I've listened to all your um, <laughs> podcasts. Yeah, I understand that you're, you've been or have been struggling with 5,000 lines of uh, AngularJS, the first Angular. So I don't know the stats on that. <laughs> Uh, actually, uh, and it had zero comments in it, which was very helpful. Uh, and it also had, you know, member names that were absurd, uh, completely unrelated, you know, often unrelated to what the things did or, or even better, they would tell you it did one thing when in fact it did something else. So, you know, I consider that a real gem of obfuscation. And I think the, the developer should have been proud, uh, of, of their effort to, um, Sort of ensure that they were the only one who could do anything. A gem uh, of obfuscation. That's, that's a new term. They <laughs> should work in a security department for sure. So, John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps, one of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks, Angular, React, Vue, or, or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you? No, oh, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them. Yeah, well, it's important to us, uh, ideally, we're a consulting company. And, uh, you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, or Vue. But they're all going to need a grid. And it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid. You know, at, at any size company, too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice. So if a multi-framework data grid makes sense to you, please go check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com. Uh, there's so many people. So I'm trying to think of what else is like this. Um, well, I, I, you know, each of us has kind of rolled our own stack, right? Uh, I'm sure you did before you settled on this. I'm trying to think who, you know, and, and, and um, the, the folks at Narwhal have certainly, they build NX and they have an opinion and they have... Um, stuff that comes together but i don't i don't think they actually have a press one have structure a complete structure end to end like this i i don't i'm struggling to think of what else is like this but go ahead and tell me um where you know what what you think you're contrasting to the uh, i trust me i've i've left um no stone unturned I've looked at everything because I wanted to bring something and show it to these guys that they pay me the top dollars to re-architect their stuff, that this is the way that we have to do it. And I couldn't find it. Therefore, I said, you know, I have all these libraries. Um, I'm just going to now, if you go to all my single standalone libraries, uh, the, the um, readme says deprecate it and points to this one, to the right module because I brought them in. Um, Narwhal, they have something to showcase, 
NX. But this one goes way beyond that. Even the TS lint has been, like I've been worked the TS um, or ES lint rather, that nobody could make a mistake. You cannot, like, you know, those circular dependencies people create, they don't know because VS Code or um, IntelliJ just brings some links from somewhere because it matches and then they create circular dependency. Here, you, you're just not allowed. Uh, the, the system does not allow you to bring from a wrong file from wrong directory, even ESLint, I've made sure of that. So when you deploy this, whoever that onboards to your project, they cannot make a mistake. Val, I'm taking this as a personal challenge because nobody has ever been able to stop me from making a mistake <laughs> before. And I I don't know how you're going to be the first. No, no, but, deliberate uh, mistakes that they're not mistakes, they're deliberate. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All but, but right. Visual uh, words. One thing that I want to add regarding that: one picture is worth a thousand words. So that visual aspects of the dependencies that Narwhal provided, it is really beautiful. As you see at the bottom of my README, I've, I've indicated that this is how you generate it. This is how you convert it to a HTML. Because many of these Jenkins and uh, Travis CI and stuff, when you run them it would be nice to drop an HTML page that has the dependency graph already there, not as an image, but as a live HTML that you could subtract, inactive, focus. And I've converted that already. It's in there as well. So you, when you change something, you know in your graph how many modules being affected. On top of that, you drop one key with Angular, with Narwhal, um, Cache Cloud in there, now, all of a sudden, from three hours of completion of 100 libraries, you come to three minutes. Why? Because if you change something that only two modules were affected, everything else comes from the cloud. And I've worked with the Narwhal folks that, on top of the artifacts that belongs to Angular and Nest, any other side effects that you've got that they're not aware, you put it in the right directory and they pull it up and then they replay it back to you. So all your code coverage that are personalized and combined, they show up at the right place as well when they're replayed, but they're not compiled because they come from the cache. So Val, have there been any like applications that maybe, I know this is often behind the firewall, but any large flagship applications that you can point us to that have been used as that fuller stack is the basis of? Um, I have used it myself. I could point to that. A few other applications behind firewalls that have been using this that I cannot name because they're meant to be and remain behind the firewall. One uh, application that I've created that is really near and dear to my heart, it's called playitforward.io. I wanted to get the pay it forward, but it was taken, so I ended up with play it forward. That application is for a crypto token that I've created for developers to support developers. It's not ready yet, it's not public yet. I'm waiting for the gas fee on Ether, uh, Ethereum to drop before I make it public. This way, if somebody does a good job, you just pat them on the shoulder, anonymously send them a fraction of a token, and community could come together. Developers, creators, I, first I wanna say developers for developers, but I noticed there's so many YouTube creators that teach people how to code. So I made it creators to creators, and that, it took me no amount of time, just one hour from A to Z, drop some logos and change the language and bring it up and put it on Azure single page application or static page. And it's been working beautifully, very performance, does the job really well. And I'm hoping that 
whoever that is listening is, is listening right now, if they need to create something meaningful, but they just don't have the budget for it, uh, they could reach out to me. They could just do the readme and bring it in and put it on AWS Azure and just enjoy it and pay it forward by contributing back to it. It's not my project. I've initiated it. It is the community's project. Hopefully people come and see it and make it something better for everyone to use. That's awesome. And you, you said the domain's going to be playitforward.com? Playitforward.io. Nice. .io, okay. So Val, I mean, you know, it's, it's clearly an opinionated stack, uh, which uh, in my mind is a good thing. Uh, uh, but let's suppose there's some assumption uh, that you've made or some configuration you made. I, is it clear to me how I could change one of those assumptions or change one of the configurations? Or, you know, what, what's your thoughts on, on that kind of thing? I've designed this to be um, modular. By modular, you could use the combination and permutation for your liking and for your needs. Everything comes from the environment.ts in Angular. For the Angular portion, same for the Nest.js. You go there and you disable the modules that you don't need. You drop in a version that you need and just enable them, disable them. As far as the logging goes, configuration goes, everything is centralized because those are part of the core. But everything else is modular. Just don't use the store because Dan Welling has, I noticed it as a very good store. So if Dan wants to drop his own store in, just go to one line and disable it and bring uh, another flavor of the store in. So it is modular. You could just mix and match based on your needs. When it comes to uh, support, Val, how do you plan to support this particular project over the you know long haul? I have created it for the community. I'm hoping that the community comes and takes the ownership off of my hand. I will be here to support it personally. I do have a small consulting shop. So if somebody needs to roll a version of it, um, they could reach out to me that way. But if they already have their team, I'm uh, willing to you know, sit down one hour free of charge, point them to the right direction and say, hey, you know, hopefully you come back and make this better, whether you raise tickets against it, whether you raise a PR for it, however you might do it. It is for meant to be for the community or for, for the greater good of our communities. Because I've enjoyed many open source projects by many um, people. So it's, it's a way of giving back for me. Awesome. Well, at the end, we usually like to, to kind of tie things off a little bit with a final thought. Dan, I know you have just a few minutes left here. Do you have something you can share real quick for us? I am happy to report that on macOS Monterey, I finally figured out how to get my sidebar or sidecar support back. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, it is very freaking hidden. I don't know what they're thinking. Uh, so anyway, if anyone hits that, go into your display settings and add a display and magically your iPad can show up. Uh, I am giving that thought, Craig, because I literally was not real happy about five minutes ago because I couldn't get something working and I just figured it out as we were talking. So <laughs> Val's genius here inspired me on what to do. But <laughs> that's that's awesome. awesome. So I guess the answer is no, I don't really have a thought, Craig. Next. <laughs> what about you, Ward? <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that's just uh, weighing on me is, uh, you know, I keep going back to this 
one file with 11,000 lines <laughs> of code in it. Um, and, you know, we, we, we delivered it, but I'm look, you know, now I'm looking at, you know, at, at what did I do wrong? Cause there were little bugs along the way. I did a lot of refactoring and I would, I'm pretty sure that 95% of the bugs I made were typos, getting the order or parameters passed to a, a method wrong, you know, spelling, spelling errors, and all because it was written in JavaScript instead of TypeScript. And the thing I didn't do was I did not take the time at the beginning to just say, let's convert this to TypeScript. Because, you know, hey, I mean, I... I should be able. Why, why, why change something I don't have to? Big mistake. Uh, so that's my my biggest regret because I, I didn't actually make any uh, lot. You know, well maybe I made one logic error for all of the twenty or so typo bugs um, that uh, each of which, when discovered, meant another round of deployments and QA and not total freaking nonsense wasted because of a typo that TypeScript would have caught. So listen out there, use your TypeScript. TypeScript, all the things. <laughs> I, I don't believe you had a logic error, Ward. That's not even, I can't even calculate <laughs> that Ward could have a logic error. But anyway, go ahead, Craig. I say that out of a, out of the enormous <laughs> humility. <laughs> I was watching an interview with uh, Jerry Seinfeld and he was like looking at kids off in the distance practicing on, on their skateboards. And he said something like, you know, the, those, those kids on the skateboards, they're going to be all right because they, they understand what it means to, to practice something, to fail at it and keep going at it until you, to get something right. Um, and so, you know, Val, as I'm listening, you talk about fuller stack and, and there's this, this application that, that not only is, something that you can use as a basis or a framework for a Greenfield app. But like you said, it, it's a, a, a reference app. It's something that you can, you can really learn from. Taking that time to practice, whether it's programming, whether it's writing, whether it's gluing things together the right way, is, is just doing that simple act of doing something over and over again until you get good at it is really valuable. And, and I think that's kind of the fruit of what Fuller Stack has, has become is that practice and, and that practical application of things that you've done over and over again. So I just say to all of us, let's not re neglect that discipline because I think there's a lot of value in it. Absolutely. So how about you, Val? What, what, what can you leave us with? I've hired many new grads or co-ops. When they go back uh, as the exit interview, I just give them one piece of advice. And I always tell them that do not worry about the third dimension, A to Z. Worry about T because the clock only moves forward. When you're younger, you work, you just give up that tea for money. When you're older, you give up the money to get the tea back and it's not going to come back. So be careful what do you do with tea as in time. Um, if you could use some of that time to help others do it, because towards the end, um, when you look back and you could connect the dots. You see all your dots will connect and you're going to be a happy person because of that. That is the advice that I have for the younger folks out there that they're just starting. And um, keep on learning. That's my advice. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us this week. It's truly been a pleasure. And thank you for everyone who sticks with us uh, every week like Val does. And uh, we're truly grateful to all of our sponsors and everyone who listens. And we'll see you again here on WebRush next week. 